Han. Yondu is going to be here in two seconds. He expects to hear this big plan of ours. I need your help. I look around at us. You know what I see? Losers. I mean, like, folks who have lost stuff. And we have, man, we have, all of us. Our homes. Our families. Normal lives. And usually life takes more than it gives, but not today. Today it's given us something. It has given us a chance. To do what? To give a shit. For once. Not run away. I, for one, am not going to stand by and watch as Ronan wipes out billions of innocent lives. But Quill, stopping Ronan, it's impossible. You're asking us to die. Yeah, I guess I am. Most of my life surrounded by my enemies. I will be grateful to die among my friends. You are an honorable man, Quill. I will fight beside you. And in the end, see my wife and daughter again. Spin anyway. Now I'm standing. You all happy? We're all standing up now. Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. The world outside the window of your spaceship is not great right now, but here on the spaceship known as Post Show Recaps, everything is super. It's your one stop shop for all things superheroic currently. The Marvel Cinematic Universe, and we are talking about Guardians of the Galaxy today. We are taken to the stars. I'm Josh Wiggler, and I am joined here by my fellow a-hole. Uh, I feel like that seems a little harsh, but you are you are my one of my favorite a-holes. The great, the tremendous, the glorious Kevin Mahadeo. I may be an a-hole, Josh, but I'm not a total dick. <laughs> yeah, very important distinction. Super important distinction. Uh, uh, Kevin, how are you doing? How are you doing? I mean, I'm happy to be talking to you about yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Outside of the spaceship, that's a whole other situation. But Sure. Um, boy, in, he, here, in the, here in the ship, it's cozy. It's here cozy. in the ship, it's great. I'm excited for this because... Uh, for anyone who follows us on Twitter, there is some interesting data there's, that's going to be happening. This is some meta drama, some yeah. meta drama surrounding uh, surrounding Guardians of the Galaxy. So, uh, all right, 
Well, let's just get into that. So, okay, so here's what we've been doing here on the MCU podcast, in case you're a latecomer, uh, but just to reset the stakes for everybody who has been listening anyway. We obviously, we're, we're going through the whole MCU. We're going in the order of release. We are closing in on the end of phase two at this point. And Kevin and I have finally reached Guardians of the Galaxy. Last week, we talked about Captain America the Winter Soldier, which is one of the most beloved movies in the entire MCU. It's currently ranking as the second best movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe behind the Avengers. Guardians of the Galaxy is a threat to that position. Um, And we got an email this week from the great Brendan Fitzpatrick, Kevin. uh, Brendan, who collates a lot of the data behind the scenes to make everything as super possible. And he was tallying the rankings uh, from the from the listeners of this podcast because everybody's encouraged to submit your scores. Super at postshowrecaps.com. Give us a score from zero to six, your Infinity Stone rankings of each and every movie. And he sent us the data. And you had already, Kevin, fulfilled your score. You'd already put that in. The listener average was there as well. And the onus was now on me to essentially break a tie between Captain America the Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy. And this falling onto the shoulders of somebody who has been saying, as my hot take of the MCU, is that maybe I think like the Guardians of the Galaxy are, are like slightly overrated. Maybe I think that they're like, uh, obviously they're great. Obviously everybody is, is awesome. Obviously these movies are super, super fun. Um, but maybe for me, just for my taste, maybe just like a tad bit overrated, or at least I like the Avengers more. I, and I would hold to, I would hold to that. I like the Avengers more. I mean, I can hold to it. I can hold to I like the Avengers more than the Guardians as a team and a group. But this isn't about the team. This is about the movie. And sure, we can get into it as we go here. But like, I sure, I, I, I finished the movie and originally had where I was just like, okay, I would rate this the same as Winter Soldier's enjoyment for me. But then I sat there and thought about this movie more and thought about what this movie did and represented. And I had to give it a higher score. I had sure. to. Um, sure. And I think ultimately that's where it's going to fall to, I think, for this rating. My favorite bit that you skipped over is that you you tried to conduct a poll on yes. Twitter and it ended Correct. up 50-50 last I Correct. saw. <laughs> Correct. So uh, feeling a lot of pressure and being an anxiety brain as I am, I decided, like, all right, can, can, the, can the universe give me a sign? What's the better movie, Captain America the Winter Soldier or Guardians of the Galaxy? Because after finishing Guardians of the Galaxy, my renewed take was, like, I really don't know which is the better movie, Captain America the Winter Soldier or Guardians of the Galaxy. So let's just see if I can get some extra data to help determine the point. And ultimately, I think that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy won out in this Twitter poll, <laughs> but, but but barely, like very, very barely. And for a long time, it was a 50-50 split. And then I bet uh, GOTG Twitter uh, found the poll and stuffed the ballots. So I, I have no idea. I have no idea what happened, but eventually it broke away. Not in a big way, but it did break away. Um, so did that like help me solve the tie? Not really. So we're coming into this podcast and we're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy in its own merits, but I do want to talk about it as an elite Marvel movie up to this point. Because I think that there's absolutely no way you can look at it in any other way. At least for me. Uh, I think that Guardians of the Galaxy, was I besmirching its honor? Probably, yeah. Like, I think for the sake of having a hot take, I think I probably just, like, generated a false hot take of, like, Guardians of the Galaxy is a little overrated. Because revisiting the movie, Kevin, 
this bunch of a-holes is just a blast to spend some time with. This movie is incredibly fun. It's and that's that's a key thing. I think it's so different in Winter Soldier in that it's a fun movie, which is you know for some people maybe doesn't fly, but it has. The thing about this movie is that a lot of people criticize it because it's like, oh, it's just fun, it's just jokes, there's no emotional weight. But I so disagree. I think there's a lot of emotional weight in this movie about being stuck in arrest development, basically, and you know because of childhood trauma. Um, the emo- you know, the the opening sequence is so emotional, and it's weird that to be like, hey, this is gonna be a movie that's gonna have emotion, but then to kick right into the fun and crazy where he's you know on the planet dancing. Uh, it's like a comparison of like this isn't be a fun movie, but remember there is emotional weight and like the scene with Rocket when he's drunk and he's like screaming and upset about like how he never wanted this and stuff was bizarrely emotional from a raccoon. Like I, I think I think that's the power of this film. It, it has these emotional moments that I think a lot of us can connect to within the characters being as bizarrely flawed as they are and really hit for a lot of us despite the fact that it is layered under just arguably the best comedy we've seen up until this point. Um, is it e- next is it to even, Avengers, is it, Yeah, I guess that that would be the argument. Is it is it this or is it Avengers? And I love Avengers, and I think that Avengers fires on all cylinders. Uh, and I think the degree of difficulty for what was at stake with the Avengers was just so high that I'm constantly in awe of it, and like my sense memory of that movie is just something that can only be rivaled by the final two Avengers movies to date. Um, I don't know that there are like perfect six Marvel movies for me other than those three Avengers movies. Not the one next week. But the one next week I will probably enjoy more than uh, the the average bear. Um, that being said, like this is a gut-bustingly funny movie. This yeah. movie is hysterical. And this movie, like you say, is arguably the best comedy we have seen in the MCU so far. And I, I don't think it's much of an argument. I think like you could lightly argue that Joss Whedon and the Avengers is funnier. Um, but I think ultimately, pound for pound, joke for joke, Guardians of the Galaxy has it in spades. Even if like some of it doesn't necessarily make like tremendous in-universe sense. Like if Peter Quill is talking about y- you should see the Milano in a black light. Uh, it looks like a Jackson Pollock painting, which is disgusting and evocative and a very crude, but like, you know, good joke. <laughs> but the fact that that lands for Rocket Raccoon makes no sense. He should have no idea what a Jackson Pollock painting That's is. very true. So there's a, there's some in-universe stuff that you have to question. So is this, is this just a gag for the sake of a gag? And so some of those don't land as well for me, that, uh, that one uh, as a specific example that stood out to me this time. But then there's just some other stuff that's just like character-baked stuff. Drax the Destroyer Everything. destroys me every like, single time. Like when you every every single thing that he just takes so 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 literally, uh, nothing goes over his head. He's too fast. He'll catch anything. Arguably, um, probably the best joke uh, in the movie. I mean, there, it's that one to me, and they're, they're both Drax. It's either that one or the finger to throat means death metaphor. Like that. Even now, knowing that joke killed me. Like I was non-stop laughter uh when that happened and so yeah i i just there's that there's there's the the one we just heard in this opening about here we all are standing around in a circle like jackasses is great uh they got my dick message i mean there's just it's just so much good stuff and it's weird that watching it now i remember like i remember the the, the one thing um 
I actually even vaguely remembered a Kevin Bacon reference. But the fact that Kevin Bacon gets referenced later, right? Like, he gets referenced in Infinity War, where they ask if Kevin Bacon is one of the Avengers, and Thor responds, I'm not sure, I haven't been there in a while. I didn't realize, one, that was a callback when I was watching Infinity War. And then watching this, what's so crazy to me is that there's enough Kevin Bacon references to make the ending of this movie that people criticize, the dance moment, actually make sense. They set that up with the Footloose stuff. Like, it's so weird that somehow the most ridiculous part of the movie, him dancing, is actually something they foreshadowed. Like, what? Like, what? I don't want to spend any meaningful amount of time with anybody who is against the Footloose ending. Uh, that ending is perfect. The The dance-off is just tremendous, and anybody who has an issue with it, I take an issue with you. I agree wholeheartedly. It's such a great moment. And when he... That's another funny moment, right? When he throws it to Gamora, and she, like, just, like, no. And he's just like, okay, subtle, taking it back. Like, oh, my gosh. I mean, you have Chris Pratt, uh, obviously, who coming off of Parks and Rec is just pure comedy genius at, at the time. And, and you know, you really see it full force here, especially amongst all these other people. But then you, even knowing Chris Pratt, like you said, Drax the Destroyer, Chris Batista, I only knew him from wrestling. And he's coming in as like a powerhouse comedian, you know? There's, there, there are so many Chris's, Kevin, that we cannot give credit to a Chris Batista who is not, because uh, it's Dave Batista. Dave Batista. <laughs> uh, there's too many. It, we're, we're overloaded with Chris's as it is. We can't change his name to Chris. Too many Chris's. Too many Chris's. You're right. My bad. <laughs> too many Chris's. But no, it's a, it's a, it's a stacked cast uh, between Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, uh, Dave Bautista, and then getting the voices of, of Vin Diesel and, and Bradley Cooper. And I mean, I've, I've seen enough of like the, like the voice booth work to see like Vin Diesel in there, like really going for the, all of the I am Groots. Um, I don't know how badly you need somebody, uh, with the star power of Vin Diesel to do that. I wonder also how involved he's continued to be with the I am Groots as we've gone to like, baby Groot to teenage Groot and all of that I just don't know I ge- like I genuinely have no idea um, but like you don't even you don't even need that um, like Bradley Cooper is terrific as rocket raccoon almost unrecognizable he, in voice yeah like he does he does like a, a he really goes for something and it's just like it, it, you completely separate Bradley Cooper from that character um, but the but it's it's really the three of, of Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, and, and Dave Bautista for me that uh, like the, that the film really has to ride on um, because Bradley Cooper. Like you could have gotten somebody else to do Rocket's voice. I think I I don't want to like uh, take away from Bradley Cooper's contributions because I uh, again I'm a big Alias guy, so my loyalty for Bradley Cooper runs pretty deep. Also from the Stella shorts, he's a big part of one of my favorite Stella shorts. I forgot about that. He's also all in time. Hot. <laughs> he is indeed. So I'm a, I'm a big, uh, you know, from, from back in the day. Um, but I think like the three main characters that are going to have like flesh and blood representation uh, of like actors fully embodying the roles 
It's entrusted to Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, who at this point has done like a lot of this type of thing. Like this is her third like big like sci-fi role in this realm. So she's proven territory for this. But Dave Batista really was not. Like that that was really taking a chance. And I believe like Jason Momoa was like a hot second away from being Drax the the Destroyer. I'm pretty oh, sure that, that that was the path it was going to go down and then he walked away from it and then Dave Batista got tapped for it. And I remember thinking um, at the time of that, that that was such a missed opportunity. You know, this is in the not terribly far um, aftermath of the Call Drogo stuff. So, like, everyone's pretty hyped on Jason Momoa at that point. And for him to uh, walk away from this chance, just like, uh, it felt sad uh, to see it going, at least to me, somebody who's not into wrestling at all, that it's just going to go to a wrestler. All right, let's see how it goes. And God, I'd love to to travel back in time and smack that version of me in the face because Dave Bautista might be uh, the MVP of this movie for me, uh, just in terms of like making me enjoy it so much as everything that happens with Drax. And I think with Drax, he really embodies what Guardians is all about. I mean, all of these characters at their best really do, that this is a movie that is both like gut-bustingly funny, knee-slappingly funny, but it is also filled with heart. Um, and it's the Drax story where he really has a very personal motivation for going after somebody who's uh, in league with Thanos and is directly responsible for the death of his family. Um, but he's also taking everything so literally, so all of the subtle sense of humor that everybody else is cracking, uh, it does go over his head. Don't tell him I said so. Um, but I think if you, if you're taking a character, he's a good representative of that. But as you said, like the rocket raccoon scene of him getting super drunk and just like saying like I didn't, you know, I was created in a lab and like everything is torture and everything's pain. Like that is suddenly like a really like uh, moving side of this gun toting, freaking talking space raccoon. Yeah, even Groot. You know, a talking yes. tree, even if he has only three words in his vocabulary, it turns out he has a fourth. Uh, and he gets like the, you know, he gets the the obligatory someone has to die for us to feel the feels moment, even if it's not a permanent death. And that scene is so powerful, uh, I think, largely because it is it is rendered by a character who is otherwise there as like. Uh, you know, a, a weapon effectively as like a sentient destroyer with some personality um, and is then able to like die on behalf of the crew and give us our biggest sort of like uh, gut punch emotional moment there. The Agent Coulson even, of the crew, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Even even Chris Pratt, though, like the whole Star-Lord story. So the, the tonal balance in this is really rather mesmerizing to me and it is i think embodied by the scene that you you referenced that we kicked this podcast off with uh which you know has some of the most emotional content of the movie where it's all these disparate people who have not really gotten along very well but are suddenly you know through circumstances being forced to get very close very quickly uh and rally together against a common cause that seems like it's probably going to kill them but it's a cause worth dying for there's a lot of thematic stuff that's worth mining from that in this day and age, for sure, of like finding a family fast based on a common set of tragedies and a common set of circumstances that even if you're like uh, a coward or a mercenary of a personality or whatever, for the sake of, of not just your own survival, but of the right thing to do, coming together and putting differences aside and like suddenly finding friendship with each other. A lot of that's like the theme of the Avengers. But what's so impressive about this movie, Kevin, is that this didn't have however many movies put in place to set this up. This is a movie that arrives without any setup for these characters, and it's based on 
a property from Marvel Comics that at the time was like, I don't know if you want to say it's like D-list. It's probably it lower, be, man. It might be lower. It's like G-list. Yeah. It's a G-list property, and now it's, you know, it replaced the Tower of Terror. Uh, so it is, it is, I know a lot of word soup, but I think that there's a lot to just like, when you're looking at the totality of Guardians of the Galaxy, this is Marvel like slapping down on the table and being like, this is what we're working with. This is what we can do. We could slap the Marvel brand on something and give you something that is just like an airtight, incredible piece of storytelling with great characters, really funny scenes, a whole lot of heart, great action, crazy setting, ensemble storytelling. And it doesn't matter if you've never heard of this stuff before. You can trust us now. Take a shot. And it pays off tremendously. So my respect for Guardians of the Galaxy, not just my enjoyment of Guardians of the Galaxy, has risen immensely after this watch. Absolutely. And I think you hit on exactly, to me, what makes this movie so important and what put it over, ultimately, Captain America Winter Soldier. Because this movie, to me, more than anything we have seen, sets the tone and sets the stage for the rest of the MCU until the end of it. Um, we've had different types of movies come before. We've had different levels of comedy and, and heart. We've had, we've had people, we've had movies that held your hand. We had Thor and we, these other movies that held your hand into this world. And Guardians was the movie that they were like, nobody knows what this is. What are we going to do? And they did not take a moment. No. This movie was just like, we're not going to handhold the audience. We're going to trust them at this point. We have put them through all these other things. We have to believe that we are just going to go for it, and they are going to come along for this ride. And everyone did. There is the famous, famous quote that I think I've mentioned several times by one of our good, good friends, Brett White, that blew up the goddamn internet. Um, because Brett White, who's a who's a writer at Decider.com. Yes. Kevin and I uh, met him and became friends with him uh, in our days at Wizard Entertainment. Uh, Brett's the best, and he's got great superhero takes, and you should be following him on the Twitter bots, at Brett White, for sure. 100%, and read his stuff on Decider. He has some great views. Um, but uh, this quote was from him, because at the time, DC was struggling for Wonder Woman. And his quote was basically, DC is all like, oh, Wonder Woman's too complicated of a character to do. And meanwhile, Marvel's like, here's a raccoon with a machine gun. And that's exactly what this movie did. And it didn't, again, no breaks, nothing. It just went for it and it trusted us. And it had a level of humor beyond what we've seen. And every movie that has come afterwards has strived to maintain that same level of humor and heart balance, has not tried to hold your hand too much, has allowed these stories to just Go and happen because this movie proved that you could do it. I mean, we talk about the Avengers having this huge task of like having people accept a superhero team, of having people accept that like you can do a movie structure like this, you can do franchises like this. And I think Guardians had almost an equal, maybe slightly less challenge to be like you can do a movie with characters like this, like a raccoon in a tree and like a guy who doesn't understand metaphors, and you can have it be insanely successful and i think the movie did that and accomplished that goal and without it i honestly don't think the mcu would be what it is because as good as captain america winter soldier was i think we did run into an interesting theory that when you try to make a movie fit a specific genre you're only going to get the people who really love that genre guardians made a broad movie but still hit i think specific things that made it appealing i don't i'm not going to throw it away just it's a broad movie therefore it's not as good i think broad movies can be terrible and this movie wasn't and i think that's an accomplishment that the winter soldier can't retain i don't think 
movies that follow are fitting the mold of Winter Soldier. I think the movies that follow are fitting the mold of Guardians, for better or worse for some people. For me, I think it, it, it improved it tremendously. But yeah, it, it, it really did do a lot. And I have to say, sorry, my last thing of, of word soup as well. You pointed out the, 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 the we are Groot, the emotionality of those moments, right? So many movies attempt to introduce characters and have these weird plots where it's like, that character died, you should care, and we don't. Because they did nothing to actually make us care. But this movie really, really tried to make us care about these characters. So when those emotional beats hit, they really, really hit hard. And fun fact, we discussed the... You you mentioned Vin Diesel. Weird role, right? I think, as weird as this is, I think they had uh, Groot as a character. And they're like, well, he's going to have this really emotional moment where he says, we are Groot. And then he sacrifices himself. But he only says, we are Groot. Do we know anyone who could successfully convey emotion and make people break down and cry with just barely any words and they said yes vin diesel because vin diesel some people may not know is the voice of the robot in iron giant ah that is vin diesel and that's a good point i am getting emotional thinking about the scene right now has made many a nerd cry uh for its ending and vin diesel did that with one word so (laughs) they maybe hired him just based on that here I was thinking that you were going to say uh, that he has pr- pr- produced that level of emotion by telling people we're family. <laughs> I mean that too, right? That's Which the is theme essentially what Groot movies. is saying, yeah. right? We're family. It's the one. It's the uh, one line he knew he could nail as as Groot, where he's just like, "I got it. We're saying that we're family. This is my yeah. bread and butter." <laughs> I don't have a Jewish grandfather because my grandfather passed away before I was born, but I'd like to imagine he would grab me by the shoulder and say it with that voice that I've used, with family. <laughs> I think that that is, that, I don't know why that is suddenly my, my Vin Diesel Fast and Furious impression, but, but there you go. Uh, no, that's a great point. Um, I need to revisit Iron Giant. I haven't seen that in like probably like a decade, decade plus at this point. Be uh, prepared to sure. cry. It's hard to wa- want to watch because it's just so sad at the end. <laughs> it's very sad. Um, no, uh, yes to to all those. I mean, I I don't know. I I think um, I think that Captain America: The Winter Soldier is as excellent a film as that could possibly be. In the same way that I think Guardians of the Galaxy is as excellent a film as it could possibly be in their respective genres, I think that they are at a sa- at, at an exact same level for me, which is why this has been uh, tough as I've been trying to conduct the, uh, as a friend would say, arbitrary and reductive exercise of ranking these two movies, um, because I think that they both just are grand slams in their respective sport. Um, that I think, as far as like uh, a taut espionage action thriller it's hard to compete at the level that winter soldier competes at really it is like as we you know we're talking about fast and furious again and mission impossible again and i i do think we were like willing into existence the fact that when we're done with the mcu (laughs) maybe we'll put superheroics aside and and talk about some of these other huge franchises or just other things that we want to talk about everything is is a pretty broad label that you can apply to a a podcast series um but i think it's like mission impossible is like a competitive uh example of what winter soldier is able to do and the fact that it's able to do that within the framework of the superhero space and in the greater uh context of Marvel is just so fabulously impressive to me and I don't know that I agree with you that every every movie from henceforth in the MCU is really looking at Guardians as uh the tonal uh model or even like the the story potential model of what we can do I think Winter Soldier is at least just as uh inspirational 
in that regard uh with with a, whether it's you know with civil war or the russos learning what they learned by making winter soldier and being able to apply that to avengers but i do think that guardians is just as influential like i do think that like the risk taking that happens with guardians the trust in the brand and by using the brand basically as a shield um to to get a little inside baseball in terms of my career uh as somebody who suffers from legitimate anxiety disorder like uh, meeting strangers being at parties uh any like being in public these are these are things that are like gut level actively bone deep deep uh difficult for me uh it maybe does not seem that way because i'm loud and you know uh, you know i gesture uh, i gesticulate wildly on a podcast but in person i could be very very scared shitless to do anything and that can often be very incompatible with my line of work uh like if i have to go to a party to cover it to write about it for a story or if i have to go and do a red carpet uh for uh for an article and like talk to a lot of celebrities and people who are very famous and what business do i josh wiggler have to be speaking with you tommy lee jones who has every right to want to knock my face off for asking you a stupid question as to whether or not your version of agent k could beat josh brolin's agent k in a fight true story that (laughs) happened tommy Lee Jones did not like that question. It was really, really, really awkward and super bad. Uh, and the way that I have started uh, over the last, I would say, like seven years or so, confronting this issue of uh, how to do my job when it is like uh, completely antithetical to my personality type and my mental illness is I will often just think of myself like, all right, you're not Wiggler out here. You're the Hollywood Reporter. Or back in the day, it was your MTV. You're hiding behind the badge of a brand. You know, people want to stop and they want to talk to your brand. They want to get, they want to, they want to do that and then just be yourself behind that shield. Be your optimized version of yourself and who you are. Ask the questions that you find interesting. Be affable in the ways that you hope and believe you can be affable. All of that stuff behind this like armor of a brand. And I think to, to redirect us back on course to, to what Marvel is doing henceforth and one of the ways in which Guardians is so influential is that because a movie about a property that is barely a property at this point you know it had like a good comic book run um i'm blanking on the names of the of the of the creative team um that revitalized uh guardians in like uh, uh i the, believe like, it was abnett landing but i'm not a hundred percent that is that's abnett landing Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning, is yep. that correct? Yep. Uh, they're they're the writers behind um, a, a resurgence of Guardians before the movie came out, even though that's still pretty different from what we see in the movie. Um, but James Gunn, who is a, 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 with like a clarity of vision and specificity that I think Shane Black brought to Iron Man three, is able to bring so much of himself into these characters that are not widely known and can be given a shot and be given this opportunity to have such vivid personality behind this shield of the Marvel brand. And that becomes something that carries through to the rest of the MCU, I think, and hopefully moving forward. You said the end of the MCU before, and I mean, depending on where the world goes, yeah, maybe. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> but certainly, certainly with plans and irons in the fire, um, the, the film landscape for the MCU from Phase 4 onward seems to be hinging on a lot of properties that are lesser known, whether it's Shang-Chi or The Eternals. Um, and I think that... What Guardians of the Galaxy proves is something very important on a corporate level for Disney and Marvel that we can succeed on the strength of the Marvel brand. 
And then I think that the more important thing for us is thanks to the fact that they now know they have proof positive that they can succeed in the context of their of, of just the strength of their brand, they can let these movies and characters be what they need to be. They can take wild swings. They can explore themes that might be scary, that might be off-putting. They can challenge notions of like, well, no one's going to show up for a female superhero movie. No one's going to show up for a superhero uh, movie about a fictional African nation and completely defy those ridiculous expectations. Um, and I think Guardians of the Galaxy is, uh, is really important in that regard, that it shows that Marvel can really do whatever the hell it wants if they just say that they're marvel and I, I yes that is fair i don't want to dismiss um uh, winter soldier outright right um but i do think i think winter soldier definitely uh, this movie allowed um the the russo brothers to essentially embrace their comedy background i think a little bit more because if you look at winter soldier and you look at what they've done afterwards with civil war with the infinity war with endgame there's a lot more humor in it that i think is their type of humor, but Winter Soldier is pretty funny. It we, has, we have, there, there's some moments that are pretty funny. It's some moments. It's some moments. But this level, like when you think about the other movies, right? You think, I, I honestly think you don't end up in Ant-Man territory. You don't end up in, uh, oh, Shambhala, that's the Wi-Fi password. You don't end up with those type of jokes, those types of subversions without having Guardians really hit that. I think if you follow the mold of Captain America, it's less jokes and more about like, the Logans. It's more about fitting into the genre and style and having depth and emotion, which is all very good, yes, but again, would limit you in the long run because if you don't like Westerns, you're not going to like Logan. Um, I think that that aspect of it is there. I mean, I certainly don't think you get Thor Ragnarok without Guardians of the Galaxy. I That's mean, absolutely you, true. That's like, absolutely true. But I, I wonder if you if you get it without Winter Soldier either, where like afterwards they're like, we just like turned this into like the best possible Captain America movie. So what's the best possible Thor movie? Let's get away from like what the expectations of a Thor movie should be. What's the best possible movie with like the set of ingredients that are available to us, i.e. filmmaker, i.e. we know that our star is Chris Hemsworth and we know he's funny AF. Why don't we let him be that? Um, and I and I think that Winter Soldier provides a good example for for how to beat Thor Ragnarok because Winter Soldier is allowing everybody to just like lean on all of their strengths as well. I guess that's fair. I mean, for me, the best cap is still Civil War, but we'll get to that in a few weeks. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, like, well, look at how much we're talking about this movie already. I think is, is really interesting. And like you said, we keep going back to the Winter Soldier stuff. And I even looked to try to see like box office wise, and they're even really close in the box office. It's kind of yeah. nuts, like how these. I mean, as a duo, I think it's inarguable that these two movies are the most powerful movies to set up the MCU. Um, is this the is this the best? Um back-to-back set of installments in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a question that I'm, like, throwing out there without looking at the chronological releases of the MCU. Um, But just on instinct, is is this it? Is this the... The... Is it... The is there anything that rivals it? I might be wrong on release order, so that's probably where it's wrong. But my challenge would be Civil War Spider-Man. Uh, but it, yeah, you're wrong. off on that. You're off on that. Uh, it's, it's Civil War, Doctor Strange, GOTG mm. two, um, but probably like the the most uncontested run uh, would be Homecoming, Ragnarok, Black Panther, Infinity War. I think 100. percent That's um, that's nonstop greatness. That I am looking forward to it because you just listed movies yeah. that are going to be 
very high in my rankings. Yeah, that's 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 four weeks of of uh, <laughs> very very lit movies. But I, I think that as far as like a double header, we haven't really come to one uh, with the with the with the with the shape and and smack of Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy, other than maybe First Avenger and the Avengers, uh, Cap the First Avenger and Avengers. But even uh, then, like not Cap to the always level, setting right? things up, right? <laughs> yeah, and I think I think that that's right. Like I think you and I both really loved Captain America, the First Avenger, but I think undeniably. Um, the the combo of winter soldier and guardians of the galaxy i think it just like it is just like some sort of like it's a table setter and that sounds like a backhanded compliment i i mean it in like the best possible way the the wait staff that is setting this table <laughs> should be given the biggest raise on the planet they they do such a good job uh it just it really sets up i i think like it's phase two these are phase two movies that feel like phase three movies because phase three is the best phase for sure 100 um, without like question pound, I mean. pound for pound it's, <laughs> it's obviously like it's the biggest so what are you going to do it's like it's two phases in one at least um but well, it is you also uh, have a shift in power structure <laughs> coming into that phase which i think says a lot about what was holding certain things back. and and i'm i'm sure that this is part of it uh because one of the things that's happening behind the scenes is like Perlmutter, who is this terrible dude who's in charge of marvel at this point um and i believe to this day still has marvel involvement um uh, in but regular it, marvel but not the movies but not in the movie side, and and Kevin Feige is going to be able to you know wrest total control basically, uh, reporting directly to like the head of Disney himself. Um, uh, and I would imagine that the back to back punches of Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy are uh, play huge huge roles in that. Um, I think we should talk about like some of like the 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 almost was aspects of Guardians of the Galaxy, the the what ifs. Uh, as it were, because there's some there's some funny casting stories. Jason Momoa could have been Drax, um, but there's a, like a very long list about uh, how many people were in line for Star Lord, uh, and they're all you know pretty notable names, uh, including um, Michael Rosenbaum. Really? Who will show yeah. up later? <laughs> uh, is he in an MC? Oh, he's in. Uh, he's in Guardians, Guardians Two, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Michael Rosenbaum, aka Lex Luthor of, of Smallville, the fame. Flash on Justice League uh, animated series. He's spectacular um, in that role. Fandral himself, Zachary Levi. Wow. So thirsty, so thirsty for a superhero role. He's gonna nail uh, the right one coming up. <laughs> I've never seen Shazam, you know. Mistake. I've, I've never seen. <laughs> Sorry, it. my voice um, just got really high because I love the character, and that movie is actually quite good. So. Jo- Joel Edgerton, who has been like floated around as a name to be involved in something MCU for as long as I can remember, and it still hasn't happened. I'm not so sure um, who that is. Uh, you see the movie? I, I is it is it Fighter? Is the movie that he's in? Is that? I think it's like the heart. The Tom. He's uh he's young Uncle Owen in the Star Wars prequels. Okay. Okay. If that does anything for you, it's Warrior. <laughs> Warrior is the movie he's in with Tom Hardy. He and Tom Hardy play brothers in like this UFC world or something like that. He's also in the remake of The Thing, the remake of the remake, I should say. Um, he's a good actor. It, is, uh, it just has not happened for him yet. Uh, Jack Houston, uh, who's a, who's another really great actor who just hasn't like hit that bubble yet. Jim Sturgis, I think, is is on that list as well. Um, Eddie Redmayne was in the running for Star Lord. Weird. I think that would have been very very strange. Can you imagine besides, a ripped Eddie Redmayne? <laughs> Eddie Redmayne should never do a space thing ever again after Jupiter ascending. And you would think that sounds like an insult. It is not. I think Eddie Redmayne in the Wachowskis' Jupiter Ascending is one of the un- most 
extremely underrated, glorious, over-the-top science fiction movie performances of all time. He made some choices in that movie, I will say. He makes bold, declarative choices. He does. Bring them to me! (laughs) He's just incredible. He's absolutely incredible as the bad guy in that movie. Uh, Lee Pace! Oh, that's funny. Who is Ronan the Accuser? That is funny. uh, Could have been Star-Lord. And I... I, uh, I don't know Lee Pace from a ton of stuff. What? Uh, I I never got into Halt and Catch Fire, which I think is out there waiting for me to like fully embrace it someday and Pushing Daisies. That's the one which man. he was he was the lead on um and that's like sort of uh dramedy, right? Like it's sort of Yes, it is. Yeah. I mean Pushing Daisies highly recommend. I mean Fuller's original stuff of like uh, Wonderfalls he was in there as well, phenomenal show, Pushing Daisies for sure. There's one more. Uh, oh, uh, De- Dead Like Me. Uh, he's not in that one, but that the full the Fuller the early Fuller stuff. Uh, Brian Fuller, who who created those shows, uh, are really great. And Pushing Daisies, I think, is top notch level of that. It's dramedy and definitely has like drama elements, but the visual style of that is incredible. Like the the cinematography, directing, and everything in that movie or TV show is really, really, really good. And he's fantastic in it. Uh, he's also in The Hobbit, dude. How do you forget The Hobbit? He's Legolas's papa. I- I didn't forget the hobby. <laughs> you just remember. chose not to think. I about chose the to o- I chose to omit the Hobbit. Um, Lee Pace is going to go on to play Ronan the Accuser, the bad guy in this movie, who is about at the Malaketh level for me. Wow, that low, huh? I guess if you yeah, don't he's have, he's just a, he's just basically the same thing. You're not. I'm higher. I'm higher on Malaketh than you, so keep that in mind. That's fair. Um, but for me, he's basically just like another angry space monster who like is like uh angrily after angrily destroying things and there's really not much else to him um i think that i i will ultimately rate him a little bit higher than malekith because he's involved in a dance-off and that's very funny and i do think that like his stoicism it, it definitely lends itself to the effectiveness of the footloose move at the end of the movie, which is glorious, and it's like the Ben Kingsley Mandarin of action scenes of final battles is uh, the the Footloose. Is as far as like really, that's what we're doing, and it's great, and it'll work for for many people, and it won't for others. But for me, it totally works. Um, so I think that like him being just like sort of like this stone faced, dull bad guy works for that. But otherwise, he's kind of just there, man. And this was going to be Star Lord potentially. Well, you know, again, that's the character they wrote, not the actor who who is in it. I think the actor. But does has... does Lee Pace, from your experience, like, can you imagine a world where he was Star Lord? Uh, I can. I mean, he. I think he has to look for it, and I do think he can bring comedic elements. Like his character is a certain way in Pushing Daisies, but I do think he'd be able to pull it off. I do have a little trust in him, even though this character, you, you're right, Ronan is boring as hell. I think. Lee Pace as a presence still worked for me because I was familiar with him. I think he did have subtle moments that I think brought a little bit to the character um, more than Malekith did. And honestly, I mean, like his scene with Drax, I think is great. Malekith had the one moment where he's shooting cloud monsters at at Thor, and this one where he's when he's fighting Drax and really fighting as Drax is just kind of going at him as he just like stomps through him basically. Um, I thought was a really interesting fight scene. I thought that was interestingly done. I don't think it's amazing but i like the idea of like almost like this this unstoppable machine as people are like pounding on him like a luke cage almost um and failing miserably at at at, at trying to injure him um so there there were little things his deliveries i think worked well but i think that's all the actor i'm not saying i rated this character high but i definitely rated him way higher than malekith 
because at least he had a little bit more going for me, in my opinion. I mean, he had a connection to at least one of the characters, whereas Malekith had nothing except how tangentially his Thor's grandfather fought him. But in this, I mean, he murdered Drax's family. There is a connection there. He has these moments where he, he is insulting Drax and is like, I do remember your family. You know, like, so there's something there, at least. Um, and again, I'm, Yo, this is Malekith, defending a nothing. Malekith, Malekith killed Thor's mom. Oh, God. No, wait, did he? No, he didn't do it, did he? Was it him? Was it? See, this is how little I remember about who actually stabbed. It was him. Um, it was him. It I'm pretty the sure rock... he killed Thor's mom. Yeah, it wasn't the rock monster, but we were supposed to care about that? <laughs> Just... I guess it depends on uh, how much you like Rene Russo. I, I happen to like her quite a bit. I like Rene Russo. We talked about this in the Dark World. They did nothing I don't wanna, to I don't want to think about it again. <laughs> I don't want to think about it anymore. All right, uh, your point taken on, on Lee Pace uh as as ronan the accuser a couple other people who were in the running for star lord joseph gordon levitt Ooh, interesting could have been, been fun could have been fun uh and this is my favorite one and like i think that this one got fairly close and i think that this is actually probably the closest to chris pratt who ultimately gets it uh glenn howerton of it's always sunny in philadelphia fame wow was uh, dennis reynolds himself was very close wow. i believe to being Star Lord, and I, I love It's Always Sunny. Uh, this is it's one of my all-time favorite shows. Uh, my wife and I, anytime Always Sunny is on, we will watch it. We will we will stop whatever we're doing to watch it. Sweet D for life. Although all of them are great, Sweet D is oh, clearly the best. Oh, oh, god damn it! Oh, god damn it, Charlie. Uh, Sweet D clearly the best. Bird, um, but Dennis, Dennis is a close second for me because he's such a narcissistic asshole and is just a monster. And Glenn Howerton is is so funny. And I didn't keep up with AP Bio. I really, I really should have because I loved him in that too. Um, can you imagine a world where he's Star Lord? I think he's a little too mean. I don't know that I can see like the soft and like gentle side that chris pratt is able to bring because to to shift it into talking about chris pratt specifically as star Wars, kevin he's basically playing andy dwyer in space you know he's got like the burt macklin piece you know he's basically like pretending to be like super badass space pirate star lord and then when no one knows who he is like what you haven't heard of me like you haven't heard of burt macklin you know he's andy dwyer in space and that's a that's a really fun character to to imagine Absolutely. As, as, as proof positive by this movie. Yeah, and I think that is accurate. He is playing a very Andy Dwyer type character. I mean, he, he has a little more sense and planning than Andy does. Um, we even have, I mean, you know, this movie was filmed the same time uh, he lost a lot of weight, which they brought into uh, Parks and Rec of why he looks ripped in Parks and Rec. And it's actually funny because he was in London in Parks and Rec to work for uh, someone there. And the guy that was cast is the guy from um, the Nova Corps. Uh, whose name is escaping me, but he he dies in the final battle uh, trying to hold hold the line. Um, but he's in Parks and Rec as well, so I thought that was a fun little connection. Um, but like that lovable doofus is essentially what makes Star Lord likable in these films, right? Like it's not exactly the Star Lord that was in the comics, but it's why people like him. And I think Chris Pratt nailed it with Andy to a point where he's like, "I got this. I know exactly how to play this character," and he does. And it's it's really interesting because like I will say. Um, this, after watching this movie, I was kind of like, man, this movie really shows that Infinity War really did Star-Lord dirty because like a lot of people were mad at Star-Lord, understandably, about what happened in Infinity War. But it was pointed out to me that, um, a good argument and based on like what you were saying earlier, the Guardians are all about finding a family and this movie and pretty much anything with the Guardians sort of established that they don't 
care about the universe as much as they care about each other. Each other is the universe to them, and that's all that matters to them. Nothing else does. Knowing that in your mind and knowing Star-Lord's, you know, kind of like hooked into a child, you know, being like almost like a child, um, that move he does in Infinity War suddenly does make a little more sense from his character perspective. Like, he wasn't just being stupid, but this is what his character is. Like, the people who are his family here are all that matters. And if he lost one of them, he would be furious enough to do something like that. And it kind of is a good defense about, like, what happened in Infinity War for people who gave him crap. Um, because, like, in this movie, he has a lot of intelligence. He has a lot of planning. And actually, we did see that because he even tells Iron Man, my plan, you know, just for the record. So it's, it is it is interesting to see this lovable doofus who still has a little bit more smarts than Andy. Andy's just like a dog, you know, like a wild uh, dog who married a cat. And that's him in April, as everyone has stated. Um, but I think Star-Lord is a little better than that. Star-Lord's obviously a wolf if we're going to go into the dog territory where he can be dog-like, but he does have some leadership and, and, and intelligence behind those um, big, brown, lovable eyes. <laughs> I'm actually I not think, sure if his eyes are brown, but... <laughs> thinking about it, I think that they are, but I don't know. I haven't looked deeply into them uh, in a long time. Uh, <laughs> it's been a minute. Um, I, I think imagining, um, you know... Space Andy Dwyer versus Space Dennis Reynolds. <laughs> uh, I, I think would actually like it would tip the line between they're a bunch of assholes, but they're not total dicks to they're total dicks. Yeah, because like there's there's you know Always Sunny is a remarkably fun show and really 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 great, but basically every character is fully irredeemable. Oh, they're terrible, uh, terrible. Like people. it doesn't mean that like the the season finale with with Mac and if you if you've watched the show you know the one that I'm talking about I won't spoil it beyond that isn't like incredibly uh, powerful and like moving and affecting but at the end of the day these characters are garbage people um, and uh, this 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 movie Guardians of the Galaxy is more closely hewing ironically enough to I think so much of what makes Parks and Rec work um, is that like they are a lot of problematic people in the parks and rec department and a bunch of them are like full on a-holes to each other, but they're not total dicks. Yeah. Uh, and, and in fact, there is a lot of, uh, a lot of redeeming qualities to, to these people. Uh, and I think to, to have that energy through the lead of Chris Pratt, um, problematic fave Chris Pratt, but you know, it's still, still a very, very talented guy, uh, and, and does what he does so well here. And I think brings that tone as the as the leader of the ensemble here uh and and sets an example that i think everybody else is uh able to like take cues from but really the the person that they're taking their cues from is james gunn as as a filmmaker and it's just impossible to think about this movie in the hands of anybody else i think like i think when you think about guardians of the galaxy you think about it uh you think about star wars you think about I think the fifth element uh, can be like a touchstone here to some degree. <laughs> for sure, uh, for sure. But of like these like kind of like um, these space epics with uh, a mixture of comedy and edge to them. And Guardians of the Galaxy just has like, plus its own identity. You know, Star Wars obviously has its very specific identity. The fifth element has a very specific identity. Uh, I think Guardians of the Galaxy has that too. And it's because it's coming from the mind of somebody who is who is so specific. And the visuals in this movie are incredible for that reason, I think. Like, this movie is really unique in its style and, 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 and color palette and music, obviously. James Gunn, you know, picked the music for this. Um, yeah, we, and we should talk about the fact that this is, you know, it's unquestioned that this is the, the best sounding 
movie in the MCU from a musical perspective. It's, Absolutely. It's like Quentin Tarantino it's a, level. Like you it's just... a mixtape that slaps for yep. sure. It's a bop <laughs> that slaps to put it in a familiar parlance. Yeah, and like I think a lot of that, a hundred percent, is to James Gunn. I mean, I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole of what happened and him not being able to do Guardians three, but now is going to do Guardians three. But it does also, I mean, I'm interested to see his visual style now translate to Suicide Squad because he's going to be doing that movie, which was a train wreck of a film for the first one. But really interested to see how the second one plays out with him uh, behind it. Um, we're actually seeing, I think, to a level, DC picking up that idea of giving the directors who have unique visual styles, their leeway to make films. I mean, we saw it with Wonder Woman, Patty Jenkins. We saw it with uh, Aquaman. We saw it with uh, Shazam. And I think seeing the success of those films and seeing how much better they are than other stuff, um, they're allowing that as well. And I think, you know, you don't really get that as much in Marvel. You get your, you get your James Guns and you get your Taika Waititi's at the time. Um, but yeah, I think like you said, a, this, a lot of this movie is attributed to James Gunn and the music that really hits perfectly well. I mean, you and I have talked about this, Josh, and there's a show that we won't reference here, I don't think, for reasons, I guess, but that tries to do the, like, I'm going to find the perfect musical cue that, like, contrasts a scene and does it really well and, like, fails terribly, whereas this movie succeeds. And I think it does it so well of finding the right musical cues for the right moments um, that feel nostalgic but have the right impact and tone for what's happening on the screen. That's a rarity to be able to do, but James Gunn really nails it in this compared to that other show, which I'll remain yeah. nameless. Yeah, uh, we can put that under an umbrella and uh, file that away for a rainy day, perhaps. Yes. Um, <sighs> why'd you have to bring that up? I'm sorry. Well, That's you know, right. something that would be nice to bring up that I think will perk you up, something we haven't talked about, is a lot of the supporting cast, including a good uh, a good popular man for you, uh, one Michael Rooker, who plays uh, Yondu. <laughs> I love Yandu. I love Yandu, and you know, I I think it's worth talking about him a little bit here. But we're going to talk about him so much more for Guardians too. Very true. Um, and and here, like you know, he's kind of presented as a uh, B character uh, who is responsible for like some of the tension in the movie, and then becomes you know reluctant ally. You've seen that sort of tropey thing over and over again. He's given a lot of attitude and edge by Michael Rooker, uh, who is uh, you know late from The Walking Dead as Merle Dixon. Uh, survives, but is uh, uh, is still nevertheless late of cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone. Love forget um, that movie; it's great. Frank! <laughs> yeah, never survives, survives, but barely. Uh, in uh, so is uh, still of late of uh, of Mall Rats. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the great the great Michael Rooker, uh, who is uh, in an Al Pacino movie that my wife and I watched relatively recently from uh, 1990 pivotal role in that movie very strange uh he's terrific and he's just he's he's such a weirdo actor and i'm always happy to see him in basically anything and i i guess i don't know the james gunn catalog super 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 well but they collaborate uh, a decent amount he's together been in slither and i believe he was in super as well though i'm not 100 percent positive on that one but uh yeah. they have collaborated before yes and James so Gunn think, kind of pulls his people's like uh, a lot of filmmakers end up doing. So I think that there's like a you know there's that comfort level that uh, exists in in Guardians where you can see that there's just like um, a ton of loyalty between himself and uh, other members of the cast and crew, including his brother who is uh, I forget the name of the character, but he's Yondu's right hand man, and he also did the motion capture for Rocket Raccoon. Correct. I don't um, remember his name either. I know the actor's name is Sean Gunn, who has been in. Many, many things that uh, James has done, but also famous for uh, Gilmore Girls. Uh, he plays Kurt, 
who is a mainstay in the town. <laughs> haven't haven't done Gilmore Girls yet, so well, that's waiting. That's what. That one's debatable. You don't, you don't think I should do it? That's that's a difficult one. There's things that are really great, but then all right, another time, another yeah. time, another time, <laughs> another time. We'll do that one another time. Um, but yeah, I Michael Rooker giving the level of personality that he does to Yondu makes everything that happens in Guardians two possible. And just some spoilers uh, for the podcast for Guardians two that's going to be coming. You know, some weeks from now, um, we had when when I tweeted out this poll of which is the better movie, Cap, uh, Winter Soldier, or Guardians of the Galaxy, a surprisingly loud minority of people uh, came out to say that Guardians Two, which is traditionally thought of, I think, as like a, a lower tiered Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, is better than both of those movies, um, and I think that that is a, a fascinating and bold take and. Uh, there is a part of me that buys into it because I think what they do with Yondu in Guardians 2 is one of my absolute favorite character arcs and messages in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it starts here with him just like whistling around some crazy badass shit and being like a funny character and just like a a dude on a screen for a lot of it. Um, But the fact that they're going to be able to like squeeze so much rich emotional energy out of this character in guardians 2 i think is uh, a real testament to all of the, the forces at work behind this movie i'm actually surprised about the fact that people think guardians 2 is one of the lower tiers i after watching this one i loved it but i mentally was ready to be like i think guardians 2 i might like more um so we'll see when we get there honestly and that's nothing to say about this movie as you'll see from my rating this movie is quite good um, but I really loved Guardian 2, and Yondu is interesting, too, because little known fact, I think, for most people is that the Guardians we're seeing in this movie aren't the Guardians of the Galaxy, not the original version of the Guardians of the Galaxy, anyway. Um, Yondu actually is an original member, if I'm not mistaken, of the Guardians of the Galaxy. He was a Hawkeye archer type. Um, we actually do see the original members of the Guardians of the Galaxy in, the in Guardians 2, so that's something we can save to discuss a little bit more. Including later. his cliffhanging friend, Sylvester Stallone. Stallone that's right, reunited yeah. at last. Um, yeah. it's, it's really interesting, um, because like, yeah, Michael Rooker, I think takes it to the next level in Guardians 2. And what I like though about this movie is that the side characters, they got some, like some interesting casting. Like you, we mentioned Sean Gunn. We of course know Michael Rooker. John C. Riley is in this movie. Um, I love, and I love him in this. I, I love, I love like I that whole him. ending of like, that's, that's murder. Yeah, that's one that's of the, the worst, worst things you could do. <laughs> He's so good in this. I wish there was more of him as well. I would love to see more John C. Riley. Uh, Glenn Close, which we've talked about before, about like famous, famous people in minor roles in the MCU. This is a contender. You got Glenn Close to basically so crazy. show up for like six uh, lines, and then I'm like, great, I'm done. Okay, I'll see y'all later. Um, do you like incredible. what they do with the Nova Corps in this? Nova being like, I think a, a pretty popular Marvel Comics character who has not been brought to the screen other than the fact that we've seen the Nova Corps in, I think, only this movie, right? Yeah, I don't think we see them in Guardians 2, and they're essentially wiped out because of... Uh, Allegedly, yeah. But this is what's interesting, is that the, the, this version, you know, I've never been a huge, huge Nova Corps person. The, the closest thing to associate them to, for people who, who want it, is like kind of like Green Lanterns. They're essentially space cops, as you can see. They have this power source, like Green Lanterns, um, known as the... Man, is it the world mind? I might be confusing terminologies among space things, but um, the way they're presented here is not fully, fully like the Nova Corps that we see in the comics. I think that 
Nova Corps in the comics are a lot cooler. But I think this gave an interesting setup to where you could lead the Nova Corps. And in the comics, the Nova Corps does get destroyed at one point, and there's one member left, Richard Ryder, who is a human, who is a member of the Nova Corps. So technically, there's ways to go around this. I mean, you know my theory before that Kit Harrington isn't Black Knight. He's he's actually Richard Ryder, a member of the Nova Corps, which I probably won't happen, but whatever. Um, it's it's interesting uh, portrayal of them, and I think it works for what they're trying to accomplish. But I think it's if you're a fan of the Nova Corps, you're probably not super into how they're portrayed here i would say um there's so many great set pieces in this movie uh whether it's like everybody on uh i I wanted to say xanadu (laughs) different set piece entirely uh Uh, but i mean you could you could you could picture it based on the footloose stuff uh like the xandar scene towards the beginning um everything that happens at the prison everything that happens with with my man bdt as the collector who i who maybe this is a hot cast yeah hot take uh bdt as the collector is at his very best in um the post-credit scene of thor the dark world i could feel that he was a lot more eccentric and weird and like what is the deal here in that although he does he does have like one moment where he's like telling the story about the infinity stones here where he just like kind of like does like the mary catherine gallagher thing of like sticking his fingers in his armpits and then smelling them like this oh does he Uh, i miss that my god he does like he does this one thing where he like kind of just like flicks his face in this very strange gesture uh, that reminds me of some sort of like space Mary Catherine Gallagher action. I love that moment though, where it's like he gives this whole presentation and talks about like how like the danger of the Infinity Stone, and if you hold the Power Stone, it, it, no one can hold it; it'll kill you. And his assistant immediately grabs it. It's just like she did not listen during that presentation at all. Mm-hmm. Like he yeah. gave it. In t- he literally just talked about this. It was like Zoolander. It's like, are you serious? We. We just went over this, but but it's it's just one of those great adventure movies. Let alone you know uh, a space adventure movie that has great defined set pieces and settings. Um, the fact that like it, this is all like taking place inside of like a giant head or something like that, right? In, in nowhere you're talking about the yeah, countries? yes, it's it's a giant celestial head. Um, which celestials they kind of actually talk about a little bit briefly in Guardians Two. Um, so we can go into that a little bit more, but they're essentially like the eldest beings in the universe from a previous existing universe. Um, And yes, that's where nowhere is located in the comics. It's like the head of a celestial. There's an entire like um, uh, a civilization in there. Uh, The one thing from the comics that you get a cameo of because of nowhere is Cosmo, the space dog who is really great. And you get to see him very briefly where he is the dog inside the space uniform uh, inside the collector's place. Um, It's a big character in the guardians comics as mentioned by uh, Abner Lanning earlier. Somebody's going to correct me. I'm, I'm going to be wrong about Abdul Lanning. Someone's going to be like, how dare you? No, you're right. You're right. Uh, you're right. You're right. Okay, I, cool. I, yeah, you're fine. Uh, but like, yeah, that's a great character. So that was an amazing cameo. But like, Celestials are interesting. And I'm curious when we're going to really delve deeper into them. In the Probably like year. Eternals and stuff, right? If and I, I think Eternals. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, does, is Galactus involved in the Celestials at all? So that I was actually trying to rack my brain trying to remember if Galactus is a Celestial. Um, but he is also a remnant from a previous universe. I think he's that level. They're just extremely powerful uh, that's, that's the next thing that's yeah. the, that's the post thanos big deal I mean, it's gotta be big. right because like Galactus. now they have the fantastic four back so <laughs> um but they have a they have like a, a like a moss eisley cantina type thing inside of a giant dead space godhead in the same universe where tony stark was in a cave in Afghanistan building a suit, <laughs> you know, with a box of scraps. Uh, and I and I do think 
that um, what the ultimate arc is for Tony Stark is just even with the Shatari being introduced in Avengers, it's just not possible without like the sheer utter swinging for the fences weirdness that James Gunn brings with with Guardians of the Galaxy. So I don't know. I feel like we haven't talked enough about uh, like the Guardians themselves. I don't know if, if you've got some thoughts that you want to do. We, do we even attempt to rank the Guardians themselves or is that a fruitless exercise? I think it's a fruitless exercise. I think yeah. everyone has their own personal loves for various reasons, but they, they really do work as a unit. And that's really interesting about them is that they work so well together. That's when they're the strongest. And honestly, I think it gets even stronger in the next one when they introduce Mantis and they bring in Nebula. Another person we've the cast in this is out of control. We got Karen Killen as Nebula in here, introducing Thanos' daughter. Yeah, we haven't even talked about her. And she her arc in Endgame is one of the best parts of that movie. It's phenomenal. And, like, yeah, she's introduced. This is actually the first Thanos, Thanos. Before we've got a glimpse of him, this is him talking. This is Josh Brolin in the role, the first time really seeing him. And he's an asshole because immediately he's just like nebula's right there and he's like gamora my favorite daughter and he's just what a dick like just right in front of nebula just like i don't like you like yeah oh there's a lot and not even i since we're just naming people i have to also call out um jaiman hansu who yeah uh is in this movie who has been in every universe at this point because he's in he's in the marvel universe here he's in the dc universe uh in shazam and he's even in the vertigo universe in the old constantine movie this guy is a member of all comic universes it's in the awesome the the gladiator universe as well That's right he is in the gladiator universe he's so which was it's going to be an expanded universe uh but not yet yeah well that's how you connect jor-el where he went on his adventure when krypton exploded he actually did not die and ended up uh over here in the gladiator world is that real no! What? Uh, I was going <laughs> to say. The only people who have died on Krypton is Jor-El and Laris, someone once in a long time ago. Because Superman kept finding people who were like, I survived Krypton. And I just remember this this message that someone wrote, which is like, I'm convinced at this point the only people that died on Krypton was Jor-El and Lara. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for everything is Superman. Uh, yeah. Which we'll... We'll my do dream, my dream and goal yeah. for one day doing. We'll, we'll do we'll do that at at some point in time. Let's get into some feedback from folks uh, as we're as we're continuing our way here through the podcast. Some community reviews. This is from Heart Trick. Heart Trick says about Guardians of the Galaxy: the soundtrack, the comedy, the chemistry. Where does one start with how much this movie kicks ass? The cast of this movie is incredible. Where other movies in the MCU have introduced a couple core characters each film. This one introduces almost a dozen series regulars. Not only is it the first showing for the Guardians, but it's also the debut for Nebula, for Ronan, finally for Josh Brolin as Thanos. Doesn't even feature any of the core Avengers. That's how strong this ensemble is. That being said, Kevin, there had been rumors that Iron Man was going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, that they were going to try and like uh, have Guardians of the Galaxy anchored by uh, Iron Man being a piece of it. So that they like felt more comfortable selling the movie, and I do think that there was like a comic book run where Iron Man joined say, the Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy, like to like kind of like test balloon that. Bendis did that, I believe, and I remember it not going over very well. <laughs> um, yeah, but I remember yeah. that happening, and I'm glad that that decision did not happen. I'm gl- again, I'm glad that they were just like, no, we're going to do this, and they went for it. Yeah, this is the right choice. Uh, the great Zach Brooks says, great characters, both the way they're written and the way they're conceptualized. It's a space adventure right up there with A New Hope and The Fifth Element. 
that's absolutely why that that take was standing in my head. Uh, once again, the great Zach Brooks, who actually once upon a time uh, podcasted about Guardians of the Galaxy here, right here on Post Show Recaps, a uh, podcast hosted all the way back in August 2014 when this movie was released between Zach Brooks and Tyler Smith. Uh, so way, way, way back at the at the onset of post show recap. So uh, we'll link to that in the show notes, uh, so that you can, uh, if if this is not enough Guardians for you, and if you want some fresh takes on what Guardians was all about uh, and what the initial reactions were to that movie, uh, we will we will link to that. Um, this is from Todd. Uh, Todd writes in and says James Gunn filled the film with comic book Easter eggs, even as he played fast and loose with the character histories and characterizations. Comics Drax is so far removed from movie Drax that it's a miracle I enjoyed him so much. Uh, but I think that you you mentioned um, uh, I'm already forgetting the name of the dog. Cosmo. Uh, Cosmo. The fact that like that Cosmo's in here, like there's just like lots of there's there's stuff that's clearly winking at like the greater like. Um, uh, galactic universe of of Marvel. Uh, the fact that like Marvel is so vast that it has uh, such a rich world out there, uh, and Gunn is pulling a lot of that stuff in for this movie. Yeah, not to mention the character we'll see in the post credit scene, which we'll get to. <laughs> we'll put a, put a pin in that for now. Uh, this is from Benji. Benji says, "I very much enjoyed watching the Guardians develop their connection as a group over the course of this film, from everyone hating each other in the beginning to realizing that they all have the same goal and getting all the way to sacrificing themselves for each other. It was just a great dynamic to come." and watch together. Yeah, I think that that's the thing that can get lost in the shuffles when you think that this is just like a movie just played for laughs and not enough gasps, which is where it's at. Um, I do think that this is a movie that has like a, a big emotional arc to it um, that maybe I had I had completely like ignored as like a, as a real thing before revisiting the movie, but like it's fully there. Like there's there's a lot of really, really great emotional rich stuff in this movie. Absolutely. Even that line, like, I mean, it's it's played for, you know, like a fun humor bit as well. But I think it works, you know, where it's the like, you know, we're the guardians of the galaxy, asshole. Like, I think that's such a great moment when, you know, they're they're all joined together holding the power stone. I think that's awesome. Um, and it's a great delivery and, and, and kind of like solidifies these people as what they are. I think it's really cool. And like you said, they managed to do this with a new film with new characters we hadn't seen before. Movies strive to do this all the time, and they did it with raccoons and tree mans. It's crazy. Speaking of tree man, uh, Jacob writes in and says, adult Groot is 1,000 times better than baby slash teenage Groot. Kevin, your thoughts? <laughs> that's, a, that's a hot take. I mean, I think he's better than teen Groot. Teen Groot's entire deal is that he's a teenager, and therefore he sucks. Um, but baby Groot is a hard competitor I mean, Baby Groot walked so Yoda, Baby Yoda could run. So, like, Baby Groot has a lot of power and impact into the world. Uh, adult Groot is great. Oh God, I, I can't do this. I can't. I can't choose between those two. They're both really cool. I do think it's going to be interesting because. But we're Baby actually- Groot is basically like the dog in As Good as It Gets, just like a cheap trick to make you feel things. How dare you! Baby I know Groot you is adorable. You, and you so love, sweet. Oh, I thought so that nice. you were going to defend the dog from as good as it gets. Um, I barely remember as good as it gets. To be honest, it was a very, it was a very good. He was a very good boy, and I don't want to besmirch uh, what I have to imagine is a late dog's honor. I will never besmirch a dog, so let's let's clear that up immediately. Um, it's clear. Maybe, maybe Gus every now and then because he's a jerk, but. Uh, no, it, it's 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 a hard call. I am excited to actually see adult Groot again because now you know by the time we get the next Guardians movie, he'll be an adult again. So that's interesting to go full circle uh, to see how he's changed if he's changed at all. Um, yeah, man, that's a hard take. The, the another poll, I guess, to run. 
let's let's get this uh, final bit of feedback from the great Professor Strunk, uh, who's written in across the way here on Everything is Super. Professor Strunk writes, this is a big one. Guardians of the Galaxy does not particularly speak to me the way it does to others, and this held true on this rewatch. But it has to be rated with an eye towards the broader context of its release, and with an eye toward what it paved the way for. Today, everybody accepts the Guardians as MCU mainstays, but not so back in 2014, when a movie with a talking raccoon and an anthropomorphic tree was the wildest gamble the MCU had ever taken. Similar, in a way, uh, to how my ranking of Iron Man took account of the movie spawning the MCU, my ranking of Guardians of the Galaxy accounts for its spawning Marvel's zany cosmic side of things. And maybe even more charitably, I credit Guardians with encouraging Disney to let creative directors with a vision, like Ryan Coogler and Taika Waititi, to have more leeway to explore. I love what I take to be the message of this movie. Family is not just your blood relatives. Family can also be whatever eccentric mix of beings you're lucky enough to bond with in life. Think of the adopted child who watches this movie or the person who always felt like the black sheep but comes into their own in some other community. Guardians and the Winter Soldier are both movies to think about whenever someone accuses comic book fare of being nothing more than cheap thrills. There's a depth here that is profound and which people can connect to in a deep way. It's weird to think that Guardians was the only MCU movie in Phase 2 that introduced new characters before Age of Ultron. Compare this to Phase 3, which introduces Black Panther, Doctor Strange, and Spider-Man all before Infinity War. I feel like this speaks to the exponential place that Marvel reached in Phase 3, and part of the reason why Phase 2 is seen as the least compelling of the three. Uh, That is the take from the great uh, Professor Strunk, whose rating for Guardians is a 5 out of 6. Wow. I mean, when again, yeah, after all that, taking into account the effect the movie had really does boost it up. I mean, it is important to acknowledge that um, and what they what they accomplished with it. Yeah, for sure. All right. Infinity Stone rankings. It's time. There go. Uh, I, I, I can't wait to see what you did, Josh. I feel like you're going to do the right thing here, but we'll see. Um, I think I'm going to do what feels like the right thing to me that I think is going to be uh, seen as a cop-out by most people um, is, is what I'm going to do here. And <laughs> what does it's, that mean? You choose not to rate. You just, you're just like, it's blank. It's nothing. It's nothing. I, I didn't even rate it. I didn't, I didn't even rate it. All right, so this is how it works. I give a score from zero to six. So does Kevin. So does the audience. We average up the audience scores for a third data point. We average that with Kevin's score and my score, and that gives us the final Everything is Super Infinity Stone ranking. Um, and for the sake of Guardians of the Galaxy, Kevin, I'm ranking this movie higher than you have it ranked. Oh, wow. All right. That is interesting. So just to spoil it, because I got the spreadsheet, um, Kevin has Guardians of the Galaxy ranked as a 5.3, yes. which is po- which is 0.3 higher than he has Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I have Captain the, Captain America the Winter Soldier ranked as a 5.5. Um, I've been grading on a higher scale. Like I've, I, I've been giving much more than you have been giving, Kevin. You are, you are more conservative in your giving of stones uh, than I am. And all uh, other things. <laughs> I, I have been, Not a giving uh, person. <laughs> I have been, I've been shelling out Infinity Stones left and right. Um, so if I, I gave Captain America the Winter Soldier a 5.5. I am rating Guardians of the Galaxy higher than you had it, even though I think we're talking about relative scales. I would expect that I don't like the movie quite as much as you do, even if I'm ranking it higher. I'm ranking Guardians of the Galaxy a 5.5 as well. 
I am giving is a cop I, out, but I think I, that does it though. <laughs> I am I am giving Captain America the Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy the same score because I think for their respective genres and I think for their respective historical um uh, place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for their impact on the Marvel Cinematic Universe and for th- their quality as films. Um, uh, even though they are dealing with very different genres, I think they are both uh, hitting all of the same um, marks uh, uh, as each other. Um, and I and I and I really really love both movies, and I can't decide which one I like more, or even which one I enjoyed more um, on on watching them. So. Yeah, cop out. Um, but that's why we have uh, we have all these different scores that are going to settle the score for us. Uh, Kevin, you gave this a five point three over Winter Soldier's five. So yes. just speak to the fact that you you think Guardians is definitely the better movie for you than Winter Soldier. Yeah, I mean, honestly, my, my when I first rated it, uh, when I wrote it down on paper after watching the movie, I did have it at the same level uh, like you as Cap uh, as as a five. I rated Cap Winter Soldier a five, and I rated this a five as well. But the more I thought about it, like I said, for me, I do think it had a slighter, slight more impact. And I think at the end of the day, the comedy and fun of this movie really speaks to me. Um, and again, I, I love Captain America as a character. I love Winter Soldier as a movie. But there was just a little bit, just enough to get that point three more for me at the end of the day because of its long-lasting impact. And again, giving us a raccoon with the machine gun and being like, no, nah, we're just doing it. And I got to respect that. So 5.3, yeah. So the audience likes Winter Soldier more than Guardians of the Galaxy by a hair. Uh, it's it's a 5.6 on Winter Soldier from the audience versus a 5.5 on Guardians of the Galaxy. It's but that five, close. <laughs> but that 5.5 from me, the 5.3 from Kevin, and the 5.5 from the audience is enough to make Guardians of the Galaxy the movie that surpasses Captain America the Winter Soldier. So it's the it's it's the second ranked movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to this point of the podcast. The Avengers is still number 1 with 5.81, then it's Guardians with 5.44, then it's Winter Soldier with 5.36, and then a fairly big drop off before we get to Captain America the First Avenger at 4.69 and Iron Man at 4.53. That's our top 5 as it as it stands. I don't expect our top 5 to change next week. I think Gage of Ultron is not going to crack this top five. It probably won't. I like it better than uh, one of the movies on there, but from what I remember, I guess we'll see once I actually rewatch it uh, with a lot of different uh, different different views on where the MCU ends up. So I think it could change, but we shall see. I'm I'm happy to I'm I'm and I want to be clear, like I'm I'm happy to have Guardians be above Winter Soldier. I'd be happy if Winter Soldier was above Guardians, and I think that that was the thing for me is like. There, there, there was not a clear right answer to me. Um, so just as Guardians like lightly broke away in the poll, Guardians lightly breaks away here in the Infinity Stone rankings. The villains, Kevin, different, uh, different story altogether. <laughs> again, because like the we're ranking at relative scales as opposed to like scales that are really similar to each other. Uh, I had I had given Malekith a two point one over uh, over. Aldrich Killian, who I gave a two, because they're both going to be sort of like rote cookie cutter bad guys. At least could be the one that looks cool. Uh, so I would give Rodan the Accuser a two point one in that same school. I don't think that he looks cooler than Malekith, but I think that he's involved in a much more memorable scene in the Footloose scene, and so that will bump him up ever so slightly past Malekith, and I will land with two point two for Rodan the Accuser. Man, you really are more generous with your scores than me. Um, I mean, I'm not that far off, but uh, despite all my criticizing and despite you 
um, or defending, I guess, uh, and despite you criticizing, I still went with a two for him. And ha- at least one point of that is just straight Lee Pace and uh, the dance scene. Just those two things, like straight up, <laughs> is the reason it gets a two. Fair. You know, you know the, dance, the dance scene is, is what puts him over the edge for Malekith, but I think that they are about the same character for me. Uh, at the end of the day. Uh, but the audience disagrees. The audience is higher on this character than both of us. 3.2 from the audience, uh, which makes uh, Ronan the Accuser top 10. Uh, oh, wow. Number 10 on the board. Uh, he's, uh, he's just above uh, Ivan Vanko uh, and his build. He's uh, then above also uh, Emil Blonsky, who wants that, needs that. Uh, and then he, uh, there's Thunderbolt Ross, the winner of Survivor, Earth's Mightiest Heroes <laughs> versus Villains. <laughs> And then there's Malekith, the Dark Elf, at the very bottom. Uh, so that's what's happening at the bottom end of this. Uh, is a bottom five villain, Ronan the Accuser. But he's the king of the bottom as it stands. There is a chance, though, that like if the the other rankings, movie rankings, don't change, the villain rankings will. Um, yeah, it'll be an interesting discussion to have next. Yeah, week I think so too. That. I think I think so too. I think I I gotta I gotta believe that Ultron will will rank fairly high, but maybe not because of his mouth. <laughs> Listen, it's, like, it's so weird. What a dumb choice. Bad choice. Bad form. <laughs> it's not, it's weird, man. The the Ultron mouth is so strange. I'm going to have to look at it now, and I'm going to have to pay more attention to it. Did not catch Every, my attention e- the first time. Everybody who is going to be watching Avengers Age of Ultron for next week, I'm sorry, but you will not be unable... You, you will you will not be able to, to look at anything other than Ultron's very, very strange mouth. It's just weird. Why does he have like such like an emotive mouth? <laughs> it's like he's got I mean, like so- he's got like soft lips how does he have soft he? lips he's a robot okay now now i don't i don't remember this at all now i'm gonna be weird and that's, this movie. that's it's not like his initial version of him uh but actually yeah like fairly close to his one of his oh, first forms he's got like ve- a very versatile mouth and it's weird that is weird that's like that's like in gi joe where snake eyes has lips on his costume and it's just like but why don't you dare come for snake eyes I'm not coming for Snake Eyes. I, Snake Eyes is Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow are my favorite characters in GI Joe. But putting lips on his costume in the first movie was insane. Oh, I'm in the glad, movie, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, and sure. I'm glad they took that out in the second movie. Um, but well, where's your mouth gonna go? You, you know, don't need like, one. It's a face mask. <laughs> it's a solid face mask. But what if he just like wants to like kind of like kiss out as he's uh, fighting Cobra? I just feel like they did that because they were like, we're going to have him speak at the end. And everyone was like, don't do that. That People are going to hate this movie enough as it is. Uh, anyway. uh, all right. Final Infinity Stone rankings are the post credit scene rankings. Uh, and so far, um, I think that like we've been like kind of low on the post credit scenes. Um, the first one, it, it's, it's hard to top that level. Uh yeah, you know the 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 two in Avengers we both gave perfect sixes. The Nick Fury and Iron Man we gave a perfect six, and then otherwise it's like all been in like the four ish range. For me, Howard the Duck showing up at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy is remarkable. It's remarkable. It doesn't matter at all, Does other not. than it is it is like the period end of sentence. Holy shit! This is where we are and what we're capable of as Marvel Studios as a brand. Now here is Howard the effing duck. That's a five for me, <laughs> like because that is such a bold thing to do. Like everybody sits around waiting at the end of these movies to see what the teaser is for the next thing, and it's not a teaser other than it's like kind of like uh, like energetically, it's a teaser of like we could do Howard the duck if we want to. We're choosing not to, but he's here. 
He exists. <laughs> There's Howard the Duck. And I think that that's great. I'm giving it a five. So it's it's really them flexing, you're saying. Like this this it's a, scene it's, it's is an a flex. excellent it's an excellent flex. Wow. It's a great yeah, flex. I mean, I don't disagree with you. I gave it a four because I think it's really funny, and I think for a lot of the same reasons where it's just like this is the postcard scene is Howard the Duck. That's insane. I can't believe they did that. That's nuts. But I didn't go that high. Although now maybe I'm reconsidering a little bit. That that said, uh yeah, it's weird because all the other ones like tease stuff like Thor's hammer and everything, but we're watching this and we're just like Howard the Duck, like it's Howard the Duck. Yeah, like I, oof. yeah, ooh, maybe I'll, I'm, I might rescore it. I might go higher. I might I might rate it as high as the twins. From all right, well we'll let, we'll let you uh, you can change your mind. You can change your mind if you want. So you got some math to do if you want to do that. We have to uh, do our informal stone rankings. Uh, which are two categories that we do where we rank the final battles and we rank Stan Lee's cameos. Yes. For the final battle, are we just talking the Footloose thing or are we talking the full final battle? Because if we're talking the Footloose thing, I would put uh, Guardians of the Galaxy as a top three uh, final battle. Wow, that is high. I don't disagree. It's weird because like what does... I mean, we have to count, I think... Avengers will, not be t- Avengers will not be touched today. Captain no. America the Winter Soldier will also not be touched. Guardians yeah. does not have a final battle that is better than either of those. Does it have a final battle that is better than Iron Man 3? You know what? I think yes. I think it does. It's a, it, and it does. even and even if it's beyond the footloose stuff and you're just talking about like all of the action with the Nova Corps getting involved and like Michael Rooker as Yandu doing the whistle trick yeah. and Groot saving himself, sacrificing himself for everybody. Not to mention Same. killing all those people and then turning around and smiling at them. Yeah, that you're right. This is this is definitely I think I think this is this is top three uh battle for sure. It's and I don't want to spend too long here, so I'm hesitant to even say this. It's frankly competitive with Winter Soldier. Um, I think it's probably a bridge too far. It is a bridge too far because I think the choreography in the Winter Soldier is way better because it's an yeah. actual fight. Um, but I do think this is high, top three, high top, three sure. top three, top three, top uh, three. Will it? Uh, well, I don't know. What are we going to think about Sokovia? Looking forward to that. We'll talk about that next week. <laughs> it's going to be the an interesting Stan- one. The Stan Lee cameo. So he's just like a spaceman on a bridge in in, uh, in Xanadu. Uh, he's a he's a spaceman on a bridge being an old pervert, though, I think was the whole joke that Rocket Raccoon was saying. Right. Um, which, what a weird, like, I think... I, so I don't know, a little I bit like of a through it. line, right? This is yeah. a little bit of a through line for Stan Lee that he's just like a creepy old perv in a lot of these cameos. That was the case in Iron Man 3, correct? Uh, Iron Man 3, he was just on the TV in Bingo. Wasn't he? Thought that was Iron in Man Avengers, 3. he's just on the TV screen. No, but I think in, in Iron Man 3, he was on a TV screen when he breaks into the news van, and he's, like, looking at channels. I think he was playing... Oh, he was... Yes, he wasn't playing Bingo. He was judging the Miss America stuff. So, yes, 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 yes. Also a bit of a weirdo there, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I really so I, like this one. I really like the idea of, like, he's no longer just on earth anymore this is he is able to be in space as stan lee you know in in a new environment so i i don't know i think it's pretty high up there for me i don't think it beats out incredible hulk but it doesn't beat incredible hulk but is it good is it gonna beat him uh trying to lug uh mjolnir away away no i don't think it'll beat 
that. I think that is going to stay. Does it beat him? Well. Does it beat him uh, getting fired from the Smithsonian for allowing Captain America's costume to get taken away? Oh no, that's another good one. I'd probably put it below that. I'd probably put it right below. Um, that. Is it above the Avengers, uh, where it's just him on a TV screen at the end, but that's got a lot of emotional impact? No, I, I yeah, I'd put it higher than that. I think there's just a very okay. amusing right. weirdo okay. moment that's fine. for this. That that's fine. Great. That's fine. I'm fine with that. All right, Guardians of the Galaxy, number four for the Stan Lee cameo uh, accountings. Um, all right, I mean, that's Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, what, what haven't we talked about that you want to talk about? Um, I don't think there's much else. I mean, I, we mentioned, I had to mention Jaiman Hansu because, like, he's great. And, uh, again, having him in so many of these movies is fantastic. We haven't really talked to Gamora. Gamora's great. Yeah, I, I think that she's probably, like, given, like, the like, the... I think in in many ways she has one of the harder roles of the movie because I think that she has to like kind of like emotionally glue a lot of this together um, and maybe doesn't get as many like big uh, standout moments the same way that Drax and Rocket and Groot and and Star Lord do. Um, but I think if you aren't like in the process of like really starting to connect with Gamora, then what they're gonna do to Gamora isn't gonna connect with you. And I I think it connects. It certainly connects with me. Uh, and I, I just love Zoe Saldana very, very, very much. So um, even if I, I think in a lot of ways she has a, a really difficult job, but I, I think she's tremendous in in the second one. Uh, yeah. And her whole story with Nebula is really, really fun. Absolutely. I think, you know, for, for as much as she didn't really shine in this one, she shines a lot in the next one. And like the other characters, I don't think shine as like certain ones don't shine as much. Um, and I think that that is the weird balance for a lot of these things. Um, but she definitely has some great stuff coming up. And I think she was great in this movie. It's just that she didn't have as many moments as a lot of the other characters. I think the one thing else I did note is that um, this movie has a lot of swearing, more so than any of the other movies we've seen so far. They swear yeah. a lot in this movie. I don't think they drop an F-bomb at all, but they definitely have the word jackass, and I think they say, like, shit a couple times, but I'm just kind of like, wow, this is like a Marvel movie in its own adult way, like being like, we can do this. We're, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And not They're even pushing boundaries. Way. They're pushing boundaries, for they sure. They are, but it doesn't feel forced at all. And I think I, no. I like that. Like, it's not like they're trying to be like, again, to always go back to the other universe, just like grim and gritty for like, that's right, we can say the F word now. Look at us, we're adults. It's more like, these are how these guys talk. Look, here we are, standing around like jackasses. We're, we're you know, we're assholes, but we're not total dicks. Like, it all makes sense in the context of the world and what they're doing versus just being like, we're adults now, so. Yeah, well, look at us. We're adults talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe each and every week here on Post Show Recaps, getting close to the end of Phase 2 already at this point, as we've got just two more movies to go in Phase 2, including next week the second Avengers movie, Avengers Age of Ultron, coming your way. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it somewhere in between? Is it underrated? Is it overrated? These are the questions that we will be asking as we are scaling the mountain known as Avengers Age of Ultron and the greater mountain known as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If you've got questions, comments, your infinity rankings, we want to hear all of that. Super at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. You can also follow us on Twitter at postshowrecaps, at Round Howard, at Kev Mahadeo. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. Your ratings and reviews greatly, greatly appreciated. Until next week, everybody, take care. Bye-bye.